is for Tito's production. We look at the Seahawks from every angle every week. I'm your host, Candace Higgins. And I'm Tino Ganasius. And we are here to discuss the Seahawks' new appointment of their head coach. There's a lot to talk about, a lot to get into. So I think we're just going to dive into it. We've been long waiting. It's been, what, three weeks, Tino? Three, mm-hmm. Almost a month? Mm-hmm. That we've been waiting on this head coach appointment and the Seahawks ultimately decided on Mike McDonald, who was one of my top choices from the very beginning. So I'm very excited about that. But before we get into my thoughts, Tina, I'm eager to hear what you think. What was your reaction when everything was announced and sort of what did you think about the process that it took to get to this point? I man, 10 out of 10, John Schneider ownership, the choice. Uh, I could not be. Uh, happier as a Seahawks fan. It's refreshing, especially after, you know, covering the Mariners and, and fans being so irate with the ownership all the time and the, and the front office all the time. This is like, this was unbelievable. So he was my number one choice. Um, You know, me, I love defense. I love running the ball. I love ball control, all that craziness. And he's in that, in the defensive sense, you know, hiring a defensive minded coach and trying to be ahead of the curve, especially in a division with, uh, with a Sean McVay and a Kyle Shanahan. I love it. And I, I have always felt like John Schneider was a defense first sort of dude. And so to me, that part is unbelievable. Secondly, you've got an ownership or an owner and an ownership group that is willing to pay a first time coach more money than any first time coach has ever received. And that's unbelievable as well, that they were willing to do that. And the third thing, the biggest thing to me was, I guess, the the nuts that that John Schneider had to be able to wait out Mike McDonald and understand this is my guy. This is who I want. And I'm going to watch other teams hire other candidates who would be good candidates for this team and wait and wait and wait with the confidence uh, you know, knowing that that was their guy. And so when you identify someone in that way and you are that that much after this particular mind, this particular leader, this particular personality, you know, there's conviction there. And that's what you want to see where versus say the commander's hire of Dan Quinn. There's no conviction there to me, right? This is, they got left holding the bag basically or playing musical chairs and they're the one without the chair. I just so incredibly impressed with how the process went with the fact that they were willing to, to give them the bag. And as we've talked about, you know, uh, Mike McDonald has coached for both Harbaugh's um, was the D coordinator at Michigan in 21. Um, obviously that's my alma mater. That's my team. And he really did was the architect for this current Michigan defense. Jesse Minter was our DC the last two years, but McDonald's the one who designed it. And we'll get into it later. There's some similarities between the Baltimore construction and the Michigan construction that I think he's going to try to carry over to Seattle, which means some, roster churn, but man, I am a defensive coach, you know, a leader. Uh, it's just, it's refreshing. And that's the best word for it for me is refreshing. I'm excited. I'm ready to go. Um, what about you? Yeah. You know, I'm over the moon. Mm-hmm. I am. I am absolutely over the moon for a couple of reasons because the Seahawks have done some things that I just didn't think they would have the nerve to do starting with um letting go of Pete Carroll, which I understand was a completely difficult choice, but I also thought it was a necessary choice. And mm-hmm. of all the years, I think this is one of the best coaching cycles in terms of available options that you could possibly have. Like the options, no matter what 
type of coach you were looking for were limitless. And I think they did, like you said, a great job of going through and not just being set. Yes, they had a guy in mind, but I really think they went in with sort of an open mind being, being, you know, getting and talking with different people who were at different stages. Um, they interviewed a, a pretty diverse, I think, group of people. Um, I think they were just looking to pick brains and get ideas and, and, and really just be meticulous about the process. Yes. Mm-hmm. To some extent, I'm sure they were doing some things waiting on Mike McDonald and a Ben Johnson, who I think we forget was also a candidate, even John Snyder and his opening, his presser introductory presser um, with Mike McDonald mentioned that both, you know, I don't think they pretended that Ben Johnson wasn't also a hot candidate. And, mm-hmm. you know, so many people assumed from the very beginning that it was Dan Quinn's job to lose. Mm-hmm. And to me, that would have just been a little bit disappointing because it it would have seemed like a just sticking with what's familiar, right? Like not wanting to let go of the past. Mm-hmm. Uh, Dan Quinn has done a great job overall, despite his loss to the Green Bay Packers, a great job overall of showing that he can, you know, lead defenses and things like that. But I also think that you wanted them to at least address something new. And I know for me, there was some initial concern when, there wasn't a Mike McDonald on the interview list and they did interview Ben Johnson. Um, they did get that in, but I was just getting a little nervous that they weren't fully looking into their options. At least they know I can live with any choice as long as you are open and explore all of the options on the table. Mm-hmm. They did that and ultimately were able to do that. The, the, the I guess the dominoes fell their way in a way that allowed for them to steal like you said, be able to wait out Mike McDonald, the only guy other than, well, they, they'd already met with Ben Johnson once, the only guy who they really hadn't had the chance to meet with. Um, right. And I'm so, I, for them to, uh, I tweeted out earlier that uh, always compete still lives on because Mike McDonald <laughs> had an offer on the table from the commanders, man. He, right. It wasn't just a Seahawks decision to make and they had to go in there and compete and they were willing to throw the bag at them and, you know, show him all the things that they had in common. It seems like they really sold him mm-hmm. on what the program would is right now and what it could be with him uh, more so than the commanders. So you're either competing or you're not. Right. And uh, John Snyder still out there competing. So um, I agree with you. 10 out of 10 process, 10 out of 10 head coach. Now I, I did prefer slightly uh, would have loved if Ben Johnson had not like, withdrew himself from contention. I think he still would have been my number one just because of the continuity factor in terms of like how hard it is to keep a good offensive coordinator on your staff, even if you pick Mm -hmm. one. That Mm -hmm. turnover is not ideal. That's sometimes troublesome, but I think we cross that bridge when you get there. But I would rather have the best candidate who just happens to be a defensive coach than just getting an offensive guy like a Mike, Mike Kafka just because he's an offensive guy. Like you want to feel like you got the best guy and they absolutely did that slam dunk. So two, two things I want to add. One is the fact that in his introductory press conference, he talks about being multiple. He talks about not being predictable, right? Like now we have, we were playing checkers and everyone else is playing chess. We were playing, trying to play the same vanilla defense over and over again. You and I go round and round about zone versus man and all that. Yep. We got our guy as far as that stuff goes, right? Which is amazing. And my understanding is he's going to call plays, which is amazing. Yes. The bigger thing 
for me, the biggest thing, I guess, is, again, being a Michigan alum, you know, Jim Harbaugh being like, you know, the guy for me and seeing the success that John Harbaugh has had. The thing that gives me so much confidence in Mike McDonald is he's learned from two very, you know, kind of CEO type of head coaches in the Harbaugh brothers. Right. And that's, that's who he came up with. He was with Harbaugh since, what is it? 2014. He was with the Harbaugh from 14 on. And those are two of the, the biggest, I guess, best leaders overarching leaders Mm -hmm. of organizations that you can learn from. And, you know, I say that with bias, but I also am saying that, you know, knowing that that's, that's the truth, right? There's a reason why Jim was given so much money and so sought after um, to go to the Chargers. So, you know, can Mike McDonald be that guy? That's yet to be seen because he's always been a coordinator or a position coach, but the education is there, right? The, 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 the having a role model or, or having a mentor to teach you how to be that CEO. He's been in that kind of situation now for nine years. And I love that. I, I do wonder, you know, I, I've heard all the player testimonials about how incredible of a coach and a man and a leader he is, right? You see all the quotes from the Ravens players. Um, but what's interesting to me is he's not, you know, he didn't play college football and he is a, finance guy. Right. And he did um, get his master's in sports management, but this is similar to baseball. You see these really brilliant minds kind of coming into coaching and coming into front offices when previously a lot of it was former players and he fits that mold being as young as he is and being as smart as he is. But I don't know. I back to my original two points, the idea that he's going to play different defenses is like, such a breath of fresh air, I know, for both of us. Yeah. And the fact that he learned from great CEO leaders and coaches in the Harbaugh brothers is really, 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 to me, this could not have been, there is no better hire than him. I just, I understand the Ben Johnson argument. I like it. But the fact that we brought in a defensive brain to counter the offensive minds that are in the NFC West is him plus John Schneider's ability to acquire talent plus the talent that's already in that defense, man, I'm, I'm already juiced and ready to go. Yeah. Yeah. I think those are good points. I, I think, you know, I agree with you. I'm not sure if he, end, if he will end up being the CEO type, but at least he understands <laughs> what that looks like. And I think if nothing else, I agree. Like he can bring certain, certain elements of that. Mm-hmm. Like it's almost like the best of both. He might fit more into these, the X's and O's guy, which I'm completely fine with. In fact, I embrace that. I'm ready for that. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, and that was what always attracted me to him as overall coach, knowing that he knows what a first-class organization looks like, coming from a place of, of stability, mm-hmm. of structure, and and not being worried about him bringing, you know, sometimes people just bring dysfunction with them because they're used to dysfunction. <laughs> yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it's nothing nothing that they intend to do, but they just only know this way. And so if you had come from a commanders or, a, you know, it's an organization that really had struggled. You know, you wonder how is this guy going to, I mean, yeah, you learn what not to do, but sometimes you accidentally do some things and make some mistakes and he knows nothing but stability and excellence. And so I think that's a great point. And I think he will bring that. It seems like that sort of ingrained in who he is. He didn't mention mm-hmm. those words 
in his introductory press conference excellence or structure, but the way he the way with which he carries himself, mm-hmm. um, the message with which he brings when he talks about vision and talks about caring for the players and mm-hmm. talks about playing the right way and the hard work that it's going to take to get where they want to go. It really just seems like it's built into um, really all the things that will make him a good coach or bad coach. We'll see, but it's ingrained in him. And I think that those are positive things mm-hmm. that if you're looking for, you know, obviously it's not football time, so we won't know to the products that they're on the field, but there are encouraging signs mm-hmm. along the way. Um, I was worried. I think one of the things I was concerned about was these players are used to a player's coach mm-hmm. and that, that the roster is going to, be, there's going to be a quite a bit of continuity, I think. John likes his roster, and mm-hmm. I think there's a lot of reason to like this roster, to be quite honest, and talent in terms of talent and in a good combination of youth. Um, and so, because of that, was the guy going to come in and be, you know, just you know, super strict and the opposite of Pete and trying to like, you know, we're gonna we're gonna be everything Pete wasn't. And I think yeah. there are a lot of elements about what Pete does that resonated with the players that I feared. If another guy comes in, like a like a Mike, Mike Vabel, for example, sure. he comes in and tries to lay down the law and this is the way we're going to do things. And, you know, I just wondered, would that rub some of the players the wrong way? Would that lead them off to a bad start in terms of winning over the locker room? And mm-hmm. so it really was um, encouraging to hear him mention the players so much because even if he's not – playing DJ music in practice like <laughs> Carol was, yeah. right? Even if he's not doing that, he's still, the guys need to feel like they, that he cares about them. Right. And I think even though he does it in a different way, it will still go far with them um, if the heart and the compassion is still there. And that's what, that's what resonated with me when you listen to, you know, Patrick Queen and some of the other guys on the Ravens talk about him, right? Was, right was that he's invested in them and that you're getting such a great leader. And I had the same fears. I still do have some of the same fears, you know, that Pete Carroll was so beloved Mm -hmm. and was so, I don't think he was laid back. I think he allowed people room to express themselves and be themselves. And it is really hard to transition from even in, in, you know, my own job, like when, when I moved to another position and someone took over for me, there's, there's difference in styles and there's difference in what in priorities. And sometimes that transition isn't great. And so I, I do, I still will, will eyeball that a little bit and worry about that a little bit. We may see a couple of players, you know, that we didn't expect to, to leave or to have to struggle with it because I think that always happens in transition, but you're right. The, the way in which he invests in, in his players is different than Pete Carroll, but, doesn't necessarily mean that it's any less or that it's any um, any less effective. Uh, one thing that, you know, if we can dive in a little bit, one thing I find fascinating is I pulled up the uh, defensive rosters and lineup depth chart of the Ravens this season. And then I looked at the, the roster from the 21 uh, Michigan defense. And for one, I think this idea that, you know, I kept talking about, not wanting to re-sign Jordan Brooks and small linebackers and coverage and all those things that we would talk about. But those are the defenses. He's run defenses with two small inside linebackers consistently, right? Patrick Queen and Roquan Smith are are undersized. Mm -hmm. And so 
I'm very, very interested to see what the what John Schneider does with either re-signing Brooks or, you know, what that defense looks like from a middle linebacker standpoint, because McDonald understands how to how to build coverages with those with that kind of personnel. And the other part of this is and then I'll be interested to hear your response is he's always had an absolute monster at nose tackle. Right. It's been it was Mozzie Smith at Michigan, 6'3", 326 when he was at Michigan, first round pick of the Cowboys. It, it's Michael Pierce with the Ravens, who's 345 pounds, right, with two 300-pound defensive ends on either side. He believes in, it's clear that his defense is predicated on that big, like, anvil, like, you know, squatty nose tackle taking up space to, to keep those linemen off of his smaller inside linebackers. What do we do with Jaron Reed? Do you think he's going to try to continue this scheme? What happens with the inside linebackers that were on the team last year? What do you think? Are you excited? Um, do you think he's going to try to bring that same scheme to the Seahawks? No, I, I, I think he'll bring certain elements. But mm-hmm. what he was clear on in his introductory press conference, which I liked a lot, and I think it went uh, under the radar of sorts, but he would not commit. He even specifically said, what we did in Baltimore scheme-wise isn't necessarily what we're going to do here because mm-hmm. I need to find out what we do well. Mm-hmm. And to me, that says he's really going to build it around the skill sets of his players. And mm-hmm. we've been clamoring for that on both offense and defense sure. for, for years. And so that was extremely refreshing. I think, like you said, there are certain elements that I can see commonalities blending together. But I don't necessarily know that um, – I, I think he's smart enough to make it work no matter what the personnel is mm-hmm. to accent. Because we all felt like, I mean, I know I for sure felt like the personnel we had last year could have been put in better positions, even with the Bobby Wagners. Did he have to be on every, every snap? Did he, right. were there certain snaps you can take him off and put a guy who's in, who's in a more, like more advantageous skill set. So mm-hmm. I think Mike McDonald can work with it regardless of, regardless what they do what they do with Jordan Brooks, Bobby Wagner, um Jaron Reed. Now I will say with the Jaron Reed thing, as well as he played with nose tackles, as well as he played at nose tackle last year, you know, that's not his natural position. So I don't think that necessarily because he wants a big giant nose tackle, mm-hmm. that that precludes Jaron Reed per se from coming back and just being the three tick. Um right. well, that's- so, you know, it's not, I mean, really a lot of the guys on the defensive line playing know it's worth three six. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so maybe he comes back, maybe he does it, but I don't think that that's not, that that's something Mike can't work around. I mean, they may just draft or plug in big X, big, big nose tackle here. Right. Then. Well, that would be, that would be my, my expectation would be that Reed and Jones each play that big D tackle or that big D end you know, three, four D and and then they bring in a bigger body. Right. Like, you know, they're already talking about like Byron Murphy out of Texas or um, Tavondre Sweat out of Texas, who's like 360 pounds, right? This huge behemoth of a guy. I just, I see, I, I agree with you. I think he's going to make the best of what he has and understand the talents that he has specifically, I think on the corners and with Mafe, yeah. but what I do, I do think you chart, you, whether you're trying to be multiple or not, you still revert back to the things that have worked 
in the past, right? You may morph them into something slightly different, but the idea is he had a top 10 defense at Michigan. He had, he's had top 10 defenses at Baltimore and he's going to come in and say, okay, this personnel works. This doesn't, let's try to do this. Let's pull, pull and push from here and there. But I still think when I look at these rosters, I still see a big, really big dude in the middle and I see defensive or I see outside linebackers who are hybrid outside linebacker defensive ends, right? Aiden, Hut, Aiden Hutchinson, um, Owe, uh, Davion Clowney, right? You see these, these big rush ends that are basically athletic enough to play stand up outside linebacker. Mm-hmm. I think we, I think we see those elements. I think the differences with McDonald and how he changes is that his, his coverages, his schemes, are going to be different, but I think the, the size of the personnel, the makeup of the personnel stays pretty similar. Yeah, I, I think so. And, and the middle linebacker thing will be interesting because Patrick, Patrick McQueen is a free agent. Do they mm-hmm. just sub out Jordan Brooks, for Patrick McQueen? I don't know. Um, I do. Th- I will say this though. I know a lot of people want Jordan Brooks back. Mm-hmm. I still in the camp that while he did pretty well in coverage last season, that I think it was a contract year. And I'm, I think that was more of a, outlier than a realistic consistency i'm mm-hmm. not really willing to pay 15 million dollars for what's been a question mark on him for three years right. for something that he barely passed last year <laughs> at his coverage um even though they are undersized interior linebackers both bobby you know bobby or con all, all those guys they have all that in common mm-hmm. I, I still think the thing that separates them is coverage ability right. and foot speed um right. that i think We'll see. If, what does the eye test say about Brooks, right? It, Brooks may have graded out okay in coverage this season, mm-hmm. but the eye test to me said otherwise. The eye test to me said he was trailing all the time, right? And that even when he dropped back in zone, they were just chucking it just over him because he's not tall enough, right? I, he may have graded out okay, but to me, it didn't look like he could cover anything. He did a lot better than he's done in the past. Historically, he's been one of the worst coverage linebackers in the, in the NFL. Mm-hmm. So relatively speaking, he did a much better job closer to average, I think, is where he ultimately ended up falling. And I will say this. Maybe it's a matter of, you know, I, I, I've always thought he was better in man situations in right. terms of coverage than he was zone. I mean, he's terrible in zone. Right. Really, I mean, no question about that. So then do they decide that's a redeemable quality worth bringing him back for? Mm-hmm. I don't know. But I have to say, I will say in general, I think in this day and age, I'm not super big on paying double-digit millions to linebackers at this point. And, mm-hmm. and like I've seen enough of that. Like I, I think I'm over that. I'd rather put double-digit, you know, like put put that money on the defensive line mm-hmm. to really improve that. Not to say that they haven't made a step in the right direction with that they have um, with the Leonard Williams, you know, seeing what they're going to do with that mm-hmm. with um, Draymond Jones. I think they've made some moves to to move in that direction, but. You know, I don't think bringing Jordan Brooks is worth the $15 million. I mean, if, if I want to do that, I'd rather do it on a Patrick McQueen, who we know works sure. in the system, versus Jordan Brooks, who it is a question mark. Can he work in this new system? And it's interesting because those careers have always been compared because they, they were drafted back-to-back. And I think there was an argument that I think the – Baltimore wanted Brooks, and so Brooks, they, they ended up with McQueen, and mm-hmm. they've always just been compared and contrasted, and it would be funny if that ultimately they ended up making that move. 
But I think that is one of the most exciting things about this offseason is to see what personnel decisions they mm-hmm. make. Um, it's going to shed some light on how outside, you know, outside people have viewed the defense, but it's also going to shed some light on who were Pete's guys, who were John's guys. I think we're going to mm-hmm. find that out quickly, too. Well, you wonder, you know, like Kyle Hamilton was an all pro. I don't know if he was all pro, but he played like an all pro for sure. Yeah. And, you know, he's a he was their kind of big chess piece that they could move him around at at safety. Seahawks don't have that when when you compare, you know, uh, defenses. Seahawks have much better corners than, than I know Marlon Humphrey's reputation. The reality is Seahawks talent at corner is better. So you wonder what. You know, I, I I think the like you said, the personnel choices are going to be fascinating. I really want to see what that defense looks like. Question for you. I'll answer to. So Ryan Grubb, the University of Washington offensive coordinator this year that followed Kalen DeBoer to Alabama, um, who was offered the Alabama OC job under Saban last year before last season, is rumored to be the top candidate to be the Seahawks new offensive coordinator. Um, From what I read, he loves Seattle. His family loves Seattle. They're not into being in Tuscaloosa. Um, If he's the offensive coordinator, uh, the new offensive coordinator for the Seahawks, you know, he was super creative in the passing game, took a ton of deep shots, a lot of misdirection, um, was able to make a, I would say, an average running back, a thousand yard rusher. And he had... Michael Penix as his trigger guy. Do you have an opinion about Ryan Grubb? Do you have thoughts about what you want this offense to look like uh, in 2024? Um, I'll, I'll be honest. So mm-hmm. I don't watch much college football. I really don't watch college football at all. Mm-hmm. I think I did the most, the most I did was the year we were going to draft a quarterback or, you know, it was suspected. We were, so maybe the past couple of years, I've been watching it more than just to keep up with the quarterback. Yeah. Um, carousel, but not super familiar with I've I've done some research seeing what he's like. I, I think it's an intriguing idea. Mm-hmm. Um I'll say that much. I'm not sure about the nuances of I can't like dictate what I loved about his game and what I didn't love about like the way he calls plays and things like that. Sure. Um I will say though that there's another um I gotta find find the name to make sure I get this name right. But there's another candidate that I'm interested in to the passing game coordinator for the Lions. Mm-hmm. Um, Tanner, uh, I'll, I'll find it. Yeah, yes, the young guy. Yeah, yeah, Tanner. Um, but anyway, the passing game coordinator for the Lions. I think it's an interesting contrast. I actually kind of like that idea slightly more. Mm-hmm. Um, just because I think you can get a little bit of Ben Johnson without getting Ben Johnson. Mm-hmm. Um, in the sense of he's worked with the same personnel. I mean, we've already talked about how the Lions roster and how the Seahawks roster offensively at least really mirror one another. Um, I think also that's the guy they credited with working a lot with the tight ends. And we've seen what Sam Laporta has done mm-hmm. this year. And so that's impressive knowing that they need to sort of mold somebody else, I think, to be a breakout tight end um, in order to be cost effective. Cause you know, those contracts are, I think no offense gone. I think mm-hmm. you got Will Disley maybe, and I'm sure they can retain Kobe Parkinson if they wanted to, mm-hmm. but I'm interested to, even though that guy hasn't played calls, so Grubbs have played calls, but he just hadn't done it, call plays, but he just hadn't done it at the NFL level, right? Mm-hmm. That's a question 
the passing game coordinator has not called plays, but he's worked with NFL personnel. I think I lean the NFL experience because you've already got Mike McDonald being so young and, you know, still trying to figure things out. I think it would be helpful for him to have somebody who at least knows how to relate and work with NFL players Mm -hmm. uh, on the offensive level. I think I prefer that slightly just Mm -hmm. in a vacuum. But again, that's without knowing the nuances of Grubbs games, but of Grubbs game per se. I'll tell you what. So I like a lot of what Detroit does. I like, you know, I think that, that Detroit's secret sauce on offense, obviously there's talent, but I think that their, that offensive line is what makes them go. Um, Ryan Grubb, I watched all the UW games this year too. And I'm telling you right now, the dude is, if we're looking for creativity, we're looking for, you know, being able to, to trade, to counter punch with the offenses of, of, you know, McVay and, and in, um, you know, the NFC West, this dude is the real deal. And, and the, some of the creativity with the passing route or with the uh, receiver routes at the university of Washington, coupled with the arm strength of Penix, it was, it was phenomenal to watch. They're playing a different sport, right? It's like watching the Lakers in the eighties run up and down the court and no one know what to do with them. That's what, that's a lot of what Grubb was doing. I also think it says it speaks volumes that this coach that was with Kalen DeBoer in, in um, whatever it was, North or South Dakota, whatever it is, and ends up in wash at Washington for one year is now the top choice of Nick Saban at Alabama after one year at Washington. I, it, I, to me, that speaks to his mind. To me, that speaks to his schemes. Now, you do have to ask the question, kind of you pointed this out a little bit, is you bring in this, you know, younger, both candidates are young, but you bring in this dude from college, is he going to command the respect of the, you know, the offensive, the room, right, in meetings and things, because he's coming from college and he's younger. I don't know the answer to that. You couple him with Mike McDonald, are you, is that a recipe for disaster in that they're so young and so green? I don't know. What I do know about Grubb is, that Washington offense ate everyone alive outside of Michigan, right? And and it was, yes, it was very talented. You had a first-round left tackle. You had a first-round wide receiver. You have a, a late first-round quarterback. But he did everything he could with that talent. And I, I'd be happy. I'd love it. I think he's brilliant. I think he's absolutely brilliant. And I hope they bring Penix with them. <laughs> it's something I heard that uh, Seahawks Brandon Nelson, he's a YouTube guy on mm-hmm. Seahawks, uh, and I follow quite a bit of his stuff. And he brought up this point with Grubbs in the sense of like their things were so scripted, mm-hmm. right? To the point that I think he points out this play where like uh, Michael Penix has to throw the ball to a receiver who's already tripping, hit the ground in the grass, right? Because mm-hmm. like that's that's how scripted it is. That's how, um, I mean, there really aren't a lot of read concepts involved in that. And coming from a world where that's, really what you do and that's what you drive thrive in that's not how things work in the nfl (laughs) reading um being able to read um having having a more i guess a complex plan a b c right in your in your in your designs versus just this is the plan follow it and execute it perfectly that's Mm -hmm. why i worry a little bit i think about the disconnect between the nfl level and the in the player level and the ability to relate to the players and 
will he be able to truly bring out the best in? Because I think you have to know how to bring out the best in Gino. You know, Gino's, I think he's got very specific skill sets, but he, I wouldn't say he's a plug and play guy that mm-hmm. you can just put in any offense. And while I don't think there's a ton of differences between, well, actually, Penix might be, obviously, it's more athletic. Overall, I'm, I'm not sure how similar their games are. I've gotten the impression it's not super different, but so, anyway, I just, you, what? Penix is, Penix has a rocket arm. He basically, yeah. he has trouble when he's, um, when he's pressured. He reads, different, deep, reads defenses really well. He's got an absolute rocket of an arm. He, there are, they talk about accuracy issues, but he's, he's actually really, really accurate. Um, I'd say Gino is a better scrambler. Gino is probably um, a little more accurate and has like half the arm strength of Penix. And when you see Penix throw the ball, it's, it looks like the way the ball came off of Michael Vick's hand. It's that he's, he throws with that much velocity. Um, but I, so I think, I think if you bring, if you see a Ryan Grubb, I think you see a different type of quarterback. They're going to ask more of Gino to, you know, to throw the ball deeper. I think at times, what is interesting to me is you, I, I think multiple approaches work in the NFL, right? And I, I hear you as far as having to have option routes and and you know be able to read defenses in a certain way. But I also think that there are ways to disguise what you're doing um, that aren't just adapting to the coverage in the moment, right? I remember Tom Moore, the old offensive coordinator in Indianapolis, would talk about how they would run the same formations almost all the time. They made everything look the same pre-snap and post-snap. It was, you know, things were really different, but it was the way the way that they fooled defenses was they didn't give anything away pre-snap because they were always coming out in, you know, 11 personnel, basically, or two tight ends, two receivers, one back, and it would look the same every time. Right. And so I think there are different ways to disguise, but I hear you. It's it was a very much let's lean on the athleticism of Romo Dunze and the rocket arm of Michael Penix in order to, you know, to win these games. But I don't know. I, maybe I'm biased because I, I was so close to it and watched it a lot, but I, I love the idea. Um, have you heard any other candidates out there uh, for offensive coordinator? The top two have just been um, Grubbs and then Tanner. Um, his, his last name is Ingstrand. Yeah. Um, so that's the other guy. And I will say, I feel like you can't, I like both options. So there's no mm-hmm. option that I'm like, oh no, that's a terrible idea. Like that's awful. Um, like Dan Quinn. <laughs> right. <laughs> like like uh like a, what Chip Kelly, what is it, Chip Kelly? Yeah. Kelly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh. Chip Kelly and Dan Quinn would have been taking us to the to the senior citizens home. Yeah. God damn with that. That's mm-hmm. tough if you're a commander's fan. Woo. Right. Um, but so I, I haven't heard anything like that. So I think I'm just encouraged again with the process mm-hmm. and that they're looking at these intriguing options. There are questions to both. I think we're the really, I think there's not a guy you're going to get with like true NFL play calling experience. I I think it's going to be somebody you're going to take a risk on anyway. Mm-hmm. And so if that's the case, you know, I'm not going to be upset at either of these choices. It's mm-hmm. just a question of, you know, honestly, I think their decision might depend on how they view Gino. Um, it's a good point because you know, like you said, I, th- I think if it is Grubbs, ultimately 
while they found a way to work with Gino, I think long-term girls will want to have his own guy. So she's coming mm-hmm. from college, want to work the system. Gino doesn't exactly fit that that uh, style right. of offense as much that he might want to run. While if you get a, a Tanner Ingress, a, a Tanner Ingress, Ing Strand, sorry, my guy, I keep forgetting how to keep mispronouncing his name, but um, if you get him, he's worked with Jared Goff, who is really similar, I think, in Gino, except for Gino, I think, has a better ability to read defense. I feel, I feel like you really, if you want to take advantage of Gino's skill set, putting him in the position to do uh, pre-snap adjustments and those types of things really put you in an advantage mm-hmm. and having a in a, having a coordinator that works well and can bring that element out of Gino mm-hmm. might show that maybe they want to really give it a true shot with Gino being the guy, um, which is possible. I mean, I know he's older in age, but also we all know he spent like 10 years on the bench. So <laughs> there's an <laughs> argument that <laughs> quite a bit of uh, legs left in him. Right. Training didn't kill him that much, I'm sure, over the years. Um, so I think that will be right now. We've only got two real known options, but either way, I think we'll speak to a lot about how they see the future, the quarterback and the future of the quarterback. Do you think that, do you think that you'll, we'll see the Seahawks try to draft a quarterback early as kind of the heir apparent to Geno? Um, you think that's something they do this year? Do you think, what do you think the, I guess what I'm asking is what's the mindset of the organization and the kind of the curve of the developmental curve of Mike McDonald and the end, when do they peak? Right. So are, are we going to pick a quarterback this year, develop them? Geno Smith is the bridge for the next year or two. And then it's time to go for the Super Bowl year three of Mike McDonald. Or do you think, we're all in right now because this defense is so good potentially under Mike McDonald that we need to try to win now. And we're going to worry about the quarterback later. I think it will have a lot to do with their, I think their quarterback, their offensive coordinator choice will tell us some of that. I Mm -hmm. really do, but Mm -hmm. I think the best not knowing right now with offensive coordinator is or who that is, Mm -hmm. their best option probably is to, organizationally developed behind Gino just because I mean I don't think you have to keep Gino more than a year mm-hmm. um and I think I don't think you're going to find a better option than Gino this year mm-hmm. so because of that from an organization perspective Gino staying a year no matter what now we can argue the year after that I think mm-hmm. it's more more of an appropriate of a conversation but right now you don't have a top 10 pick there's no way you're going to get one of the top three quarterbacks John's given that given their they're doing this whole best player available strategy. Mm-hmm. I'd be very surprised if they went with a quarter with a quarterback early. Um, is in that first round. I'd anticipate maybe second round, third round, something like that. Um, something where it makes more sense, where it's not a reach. Because if they did a first round pick, I mean, if they if they pick somebody in the first round, unless somebody fail, it'd probably just be like a like a reach, right? <laughs> like not it's not the best talent available, but it's a need right and we're emphasizing that mm. because of that i lean that they're just going to develop somebody for a second round pick third round pick john's got a history of doing that anyway mm-hmm. <laughs> um do like with russ and, and third round and then see where that goes um i wonder like, i do wonder again 
it's going to sound biased. I'm trying to say this as objectively as I can. I wonder what the relationship was between Mike McDonald and J.J. McCarthy. Mm-hmm. McCarthy, and I know people are critical of McCarthy because Michigan was so run heavy and you haven't really seen him have to throw the ball 35 times like he might have to in the NFL. But I'm telling you, five-star recruit, great leader. He's He might run a sub-4-5-40 um, at the Combine. It would it would shock me if he was under 4-5-5. Um, Rocking arm. You know, they've talked a little bit about his arm strength, but he has, they haven't asked him at Michigan to air it out. I, I think he's an incredible quarterback prospect. I would – I know Jaden McDaniel or Jaden Daniel won the uh, um, Daniels won the the Heisman. I would consider McCarthy in that same area as him. Um, he's a quarterback that I would I'd be overjoyed if they if they took him and developed him under under Geno. But I do wonder because he's so because McDonald is so connected to Michigan and was the D coordinator when McCarthy was there. If there's a connection there, I also think if we see Grubb as the OC. I, I think there's a real possibility that Penix becomes that pick and Penix sits on the bench for a year and takes over after Gino's done. Um, those two quarterbacks, I would be, as a fan, I would be super excited to see either of those two um, drafted with that uh, mid first round pick. But I know that I'm in the minority um, in that sense, because, you know, there are people, there are a lot of Seahawks fans that don't like McCarthy um, but I'm telling you, he's he's a real deal. He was a five-star recruit, the number two quarterback in the country for a reason. Call it ignorance on my part, and it very well might be, but in my initial research, and I am just really just starting to get into, you know, looking at the film of some of these guys just so I can be mm-hmm. ready for the draft and be informed. Uh, I I do. I've liked what I've seen from Jason McCarthy, too. Like, I, mm-hmm. I, I do know that most Seahawks fans hate him. I don't completely yet understand why. Mm-hmm. Um I'm only seeing good qualities in terms of a developmental quarterback. I mean, obviously I think he's not, you know, your franchise guy, but I, I see a lot of qualities in terms of a second round pick or a third round quick pick that I like over others. But again, I'm new, I'm green. So perhaps that's just my ignorance. I'm sure many Seahawks fans will tell me that I that I am just ignorant, but I, I kind of side with you on that one. Now, the only thing I'll bring up with the Penix thing is I think there's a direct contrast where if you go get Penix, Given his age already, that he'll already be 25, mm-hmm. I think that'll, that'll put it much more strain on him or it's much more of a disadvantage to sit a guy like him for a year under Geno. And so then I think you really have a QB competition because the fans are going to most certainly push for Penix. And then you sort of have a real QB competition on your hand. And how does that affect both guys? How does that affect mm-hmm. Geno? How does that affect Penix? Uh, could be negative all around. But if they go Grubbs, then I can't disagree with you that it's a real possibility. But I think yeah. if they go with Grubbs, I think it speaks to their mindset on the quarterback. It's possible that Geno gets benched early to play Penix just from pressure, outside pressure. And, right. you know, if Geno flounders under that kind of pressure, which he might, he may or may not, but he might. Right. Uh, does that go well <laughs> and then you you put all your eggs in the pin in the Penix basket i don't know I, i'm not big on a first round guys i'd see okay so seahawks well seahawks twitter seahawks fans people are so and, and i think draft Knicks in general are so hung up on Penix. 
Yeah. That they've added two years to his age because you're literally, I've heard people say that he's 25 more than I've heard him. People say that he's 23. He's 23. <laughs> I think he'll be 25 when he plays, if I'm not mistaken. We, I think so he's 23 born May eight, born May 8th. So he'll be 24 when the season starts. Well, he would even be 25 if you sat him for a year. I think that's where that's coming from. Got it. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. By the time by the time he actually gets on the field, he, you got it. Like, he'll be 25 years old. So 25 year old rookie, basically. Right. You still have, you know, I, I think the bigger question with Penix to me is, is the injury. So he's had two yeah. torn, he's torn his right ACL twice. Right. And he's injured his, his right shoulder. He's left-handed quarterback. So he's injured his right shoulder. He's a, now he's a super tough dude, right? Like he can take a hit. Um, he just doesn't use his legs the way he did um, earlier on in his college career. And I, I understand that, that, um, that there's a concern with his knee, but in this day and age with the type of uh, medicine, are we really thinking that a, that an ACL is going to end a quarterback's career? He may not be as mobile as you want him to be, but I don't think his mobility is what's gotten him to this point in the first place. It's his, his left arm. Right. Um, I don't know. He, to me is such a, would make so much sense in that. I don't think the Seahawks, are thinking Super Bowl five years from now. I think they're thinking Super Bowl two or three years from now, right? Yeah. And if that's the case, you got Penix right in his prime. And if he's gonna if he's gonna sit a year, then start that second year of him starting three years from now is kind of that window that you're looking at trying to win. And and if he's physically not perfect, that's probably gonna be his peak, right? Yeah. So I don't know. I, I love I'm excited about all the ideas. If if the Seahawks just said, you know what, we're rolling with Gino and we're putting all the resources into building up our, you know, our lines. We have great skill players. Let's go sign us a linebacker. Let's get us another safety. And we're going to try to win in 24. I'm good with that. You bring in Penix or McCarthy or someone like that, and we're trying to win in 26. Hey, I'm cool with that too, as long as we're developing in the right direction. I think it's all right. good right now. All good. It is. That, and that's really what the refreshing part is, is because mm-hmm. really, you know, as much as we're talking about the offense, the offense wouldn't, the problem with this team, the offense wouldn't, I mean, that not to say the offense wasn't flawed, it had issues, most certainly, but I think given the circumstances with which the offense had to overcome, those issues are understandable. An O-line that is an essentially a turnstile, right. uh, back that gets hurt in the middle of the year and sort of trying to play through that, uh, mm-hmm. I, I think that was a huge factor, and I think the O-line probably being the biggest factor there out of anything, because um, that was constant all year. Um, well, you know, you know him coming from Baltimore and coming from Michigan, you know, if he has any impact on personnel, he's going to say, don't be giving me these bad linemen. Don't, you know, let's not wait until the fourth round to invest in, in the line of scrimmage. He's going to say, we need to control the line of scrimmage now. Right. And you had, even if it, if it's grub or it's your boy in Detroit, I forgot his name, England or hard-boiled egg, whatever his name is. It's they got so that Detroit Detroit line, both offense and defense, is what can, is what won for them, right? At at UW, that offensive line won the best offensive line um, award in the country. Michigan won the same thing two years ago. So McDonald and wh- whoever he potentially brings in as the OC 
those guys are all like believe in controlling the line of scrimmage first. Yes. And so I do think that, you know, we're going to see if the, if the Seahawks go boring and they spend those first three picks on offensive defensive line, I'm good with that too. Right. Like, like, but I think we are going to see a philosophy shift in terms of prioritization of the line of scrimmage and bringing in, not that, you know, Charles Cross was number nine pick overall. I get it but really prioritizing controlling the line of scrimmage at all times on both sides of the ball. And, and that's the football I love. I think the biggest question is depth. Really? I mm-hmm. think they've got some good pieces that they just need to stay healthy, but because there was such a dramatic drop off from your starters to your depth. And I called that at preseason. I said, this is the worst depth. If you go around and you look at the, at the other mm-hmm. uh, depth charts, this is the worst all-line depth in the league, no. You don't like Jay, don't like Jay Curhan? That's your boy. <laughs> I mean, look, I liked him. I did like he had some promise early on, but my guy cannot pass, pass, protect, to save his life. Oh, um, or some Stone Forsyth? No, I never <laughs> could never get behind Stone. 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 Feet. Stone. Uh, he can't move his feet. It was a statue. <laughs> yeah, a statue at right tackle. The name. <laughs> Man, I, I, I called it at the beginning of the preseason. I said, this is a worse depth. Now, I did not know at the time that that depth was at the start for us for most of the oh, year. Oh, I know. That's really the unfortunate part because I really, like you said, they got some good. If Abe Lucas can get healthy, he just had surgery, mm-hmm. which is encouraging to me because um, I was worried that it was going to be a chronic thing. Right. Right. Um, so hopefully that surgery really does fix what this issue has been, why he didn't get surgery earlier. I don't know. But anywho, um, he's got surgery. Really hope that helps make a difference for him mm-hmm. and his ability to stay on the field because I think he's a star. I really do. Um, Charles Cross, I'm not sure if he'll ever be Pro Bowl level. Um, seems to still struggle be. with some things. Yeah. Um, but if you can get, if you can draft a guy to push him, Mm-hmm. Right, then you might get a better Charles Cross. I mean, they haven't had any real competition to, you know, if I'm Charles Cross, why? I mean, other than just being motivated for the game, why am I, why would I work on small technique things? I mean, I got the job, right? I, <laughs> and, think, he, I think he was hurt too, though. You know, yeah, I think he was hurt. And I also wonder, you know, did, was the offensive line coach you know, coaching him up in the way that was necessary. And I, I, this is just a a hunch, but my impression of Mike McDonald is he's not going to put up with bad coaching, right? He's not going to put up with lazy coaching. He's going to bring in technicians. That's the kind of dude he is. And I think that we're going to see improvement across the board because of it. Are they, are they going to resign Damian Lewis? Do you think? Cause he's going to command a pretty decent salary, right? I don't know. I think that's a – I was never sure if that was a Pete guy or a John guy. We're going to find out. <laughs> Real quick. Find out quickly. I'm right. not sure what, what kind of guy he was. I could see a world where they don't. Mm. Um, now, I will say, I think Andrew Dickerson was a good O-line coach. Mm. Um, he got a lot out of that group. Sure. When he had he had nothing to work with. <laughs> he had nothing to work with. And I, and I remember the previous offseason – Go really going into this season, you know, during training camp, people really talking about the impact that Andy Dickerson had on them, sure. the teaching techniques that he was using. I really think that he was more ahead of the curve, mm. but was just given nothing to work with this year. I mean, I, I can't blame that on him <laughs> at all. Um, 
Right. Especially like you said, because I do think that Charles Cross wasn't fully healthy right. even, even when he was playing. I'm not sure though. I think again it's gonna come down to the offensive coordinator, the style that they want to play, because we begin to move in the direction of after the drafting of Damian Lewis, we started drafting these more mobile guys, these more agile guys. Do they continue that trend or do they just go back? Do we go back to just having man eaters and just push forward? What's more beneficial if that if they're if you're looking for just big strong guys to to push then i think you keep damian lewis mm-hmm. but if you are moving in the more zone we need you to be able to get to the second level faster we need you to have faster feet mm-hmm. type thing like shane walton was trying to do then no he doesn't come back but it's well, also style that they want to play that's some of the the disconnect though right you got lewis and bradford bradford is huge Right. You got Lewis and Bradford as your starting guards, but you want your guards to get to the second level. It's like you've got to have the personnel to fit the philosophy. And I don't think that was really ever the case as far as the offensive line goes. I do. I agree. I think the fact that the O-line coach is being sought after by other teams now, now that there's a coaching change in Seattle, says something about his skill. Yeah, I, I think there was a I think I don't think Shane Waldron did the personnel any favors, right. By being as erratic as he was with play calling and being, you know, not having a, a, I always say this, but a defined identity and philosophy. Are you a, you know, linemen want to know, are we running the ball or do I need to, you know, is my mindset pass pro? Are we just a road grader type of offensive line? But there was never, it was always kind of wishy-washy with the, with, um, with that identity. I, I don't know. I, I think the, the, now the McDonald's in place, the, the OC, choices is going to be is going to have so much to do with what type of Seahawks team we get to watch next season. Oh, for sure. And and I'll say this, I think they were more fast pro. I don't think there was a question about that. I think Mm -hmm. we were clamoring for them to run the ball. So I don't think there was a real question about that part, but in terms of your split with the types of personnel on O-line, I suspect we'll find out. I suspect that had more to do with Pete versus John. Mm. than anything else. Because mm-hmm. you're right, Bradford doesn't fit what we thought was a trend of these more agile guys who could move their feet. Right. Who's the opposite of that? Right. Was that a concession to Pete? It's my guess, yes. Um, <laughs> but um, maybe maybe it wasn't. Maybe it's John who wants the world greatest. But I just, John's always seemed to be the more innovative guy. Right. In my opinion, and, and, and Pete's always wanted the more physical um brute strength type of guys just been my impression so my guess is Bradford was a peak guy right um as was Damian Lewis and makes you wonder too is with this OC choice it feels like the Seahawks are trying to go in this like incredibly innovative direction right you brought in the most brilliant defensive mind young defensive mind really in the game right and which is such the opposite of what of what Pete became eventually. Yes. Are we going to do the same thing on offense and we're just going to become like a like a a think tank like some of the other organizations are where where it's up to to Schneider to to bring in the right talent but it's up to these dudes to scheme in a way that that makes us just bet, better than everybody else, right? Like that's exciting. He's they're to me they're clearly looking for the most brilliant minds in the game to come in and be um and be the coordinators, which is, 
I don't know, it's so different than what we have come to expect from this organization. I, I don't ever remember the Seahawks being on the cutting edge of anything other than seeking these biggest, strongest, fastest dudes out there. Well, I'll say this. I am a Sean Waldron apologist because I, I think he gives way more crap than he deserves. Um, especially because people were talking about Bert, when they were, there was literal conversations about worrying if head, if Shane Waldron was going to be a head coach and mm-hmm. we lose him the following offseason. And now all of a sudden everyone wants to act like Shane Waldron never did anything for the Seahawks organization. It's crazy to me, but whatever. Um, I digress. My point that I want to get to is, is really, I think Shane was starting to implant elements of that. I think his use of the tight ends was brilliant. I think his ability to make the Seahawks even a little bit competent at screens was, was I consider that innovation to be a hundred. Um, and so I think that the offense is closer to that. And so I'm not as big on, in fact, I think depending on whose offensive coordinator is, that part might rub me the wrong way because I really felt like they were moving towards innovation. Now, I think Shane Waldron struggles with situational type of, I think he's a great play designer more so than he is a play caller mm-hmm. and situationally you saw that come to bear, right? Mm-hmm. Some, some crazy things called at specific times, but I think his design was innovative. Mm-hmm. And I, I, and there was, I mean, it before I'd never heard anybody compliment play calls before, but there were times when listening to the broadcast, where they where the broadcast would go, that's a brilliant play, play design, right? Mm-hmm. And so for me, that let me know offense moving in that direction, defense was moving backwards. So <laughs> I, they were just absolutely going into the stone age. Um, so now that we know that the defense will be elevating, in my opinion, I don't know how much more innovation we need. Um, we need some, but I feel like more than anything, we need somebody who's good situationally. Yep. who can build on some of the good things that had already been moving in the right direction. Mm-hmm. And I hope we don't get somebody that wants to scrap everything. Cause I really think some of the things about that offense were very quality stuff. For sure. Um, and For they sure. just need to, they need to accent their personnel better. I mm-hmm. think our offense is the number one thing that would I'd say was missing. Do you, what do you want to see? I guess, if you had your choice, what type of offense do you think would fit? So assuming McDonald makes this defense a lot better, right? Mm-hmm. And it's what he's been hired to do. What type of offense or style of offense do you think fits the defense that McDonald plays? And what would you like to see as, as a, you know, as someone that follows the Seahawks? I like the West coast stuff for Gino. Mm-hmm. Um, now that of course assumes that Gino's still the guy, <laughs> mm-hmm. but I, I like the West Coast offense for Gino. I think you give him a better O line, mm-hmm. and I think you find better ways to put his wide receivers in different positions. Mm-hmm. I think you more intelligently call your situational <laughs> plays, mm-hmm. uh, not calling screens on like third and nineteen stuff mm-hmm. like that. And I think you get a totally different offense. I think the offense needed a few tweaks mm-hmm. to get over the hump. Mm-hmm. Uh, they were. A top, well, top ten offense the year before, like when Gino had his amazing, like his breakout year. Mm-hmm. We've seen the offense be elite before. They fell off, and I think that's for a number of factors. But I, I like the West Coast offense that they were running. Um, I think it accents them well. I think, but I, I what I don't want to see is, 
I don't want to see us go back to the road grader, guys. I think against your Santa hands and against your Sean McVay's, I think you need those mobile agile guys. That's why I said I don't know if they bring Damian Lewis back or not. In fact, mm-hmm. to me, it'd be more, more encouraging if they don't because mm-hmm. maybe, oh, I know we still got Bradford, but somebody had to be able to uh, to, to get some penetration at the line of scrimmage because nobody else could run block. And Bradford seems to be the only guy who can apparently do that, right. uh, him and Damian Lewis sort of. But I think you just got to find guys who can – I think that's where the league is going. Um, more motion – more getting to the second levels, more pulling of guards, mm-hmm. more agility. And I hope whoever it is, if nothing else, I hope they continue to push in that direction. Even if it's not West Coast offensive concepts, I don't want to, I don't want to just line up at the A gap or B gap and just be like, fine. <laughs> like I, I don't want to, <laughs> I don't want to do that. That's not sure. what I want to go back to. Right. <laughs> so whoever can build on those, those elements, I think I'm good with. So I, I think that, you know, we have seen run game innovation really come to the forefront the last couple of years. First, it was yeah. Shanahan with some of his concepts. And then obviously um, uh, McDaniels in, in Miami really doing some different stuff with speed. Mm-hmm. What, what I find, you know, so the, the real question for me is, how much say and control will um, Coach McDonald have with this offense and what the with what the offense looks like, right? Because we are under, uh, we are under the understanding that John Schneider is picking the coordinators, and this is part of why he and Pete Carroll got into it so much. Mm-hmm. So, but Mike McDonald again, I go back to his history. He came from. Baltimore and he came from Michigan and those two places are like ball control. And I know that Baltimore has opened it up from the pat from a pass game standpoint this season, but it's still about controlling the ball. It's still about not turning it over. It's still about being a really great run blocking team. Right. And it was certainly that before, you know, under Mike Nolan, when he was the, the O coordinator there, they ran the ball all the time. Michigan, we know is that way, right? That we want to run you over every game. We're bigger men than you are. And so my question is, does he, if he brings that mindset with him, which I expect him to, even Georgia, when he came from Georgia before being with the Ravens, even Georgia plays that style, right? Bigger, stronger, faster, run you over. If he brings that with him, do you think that, that impacts the OC choice. And then does that impact the style of offense that we see? I, we, you and I always have this laugh about, about offensive philosophy, because you know me, I love it. And I don't care if it's the Mike McDaniel, you know, scheme, all kinds of crazy runs and have, you know, a chain who runs a four, two, five carrying the ball, or if it's, I've got a 240 pound running back and I'm running him, you know, up the middle and off tackle, 26 times and you can't stop me. I like both of those, but I do wonder what, if he's going to bring a run heavy sort of philosophy with him. And if he does, does John Schneider let him do that? I think in terms of offensive philosophy, John Schneider is going to give him free reign Mm -hmm. to to make the decisions he feels like 
because John talks about a partnership, so I don't think John's trying to be, I think he was asked about how it would be to get final say. Right. John's response was that it's not about final say for me, it's a partnership. Right. So I think that that's going to be an open dialogue. But you know, you would know this more than I, so I guess it's really more of a question to you. Mm-hmm. How you describe Grubb's offense, mm-hmm. that ain't that. It's the opposite. <laughs> right. So I just... I, I think that answers the question more than it does. Sure. More than so, it does anything else. So, um, with, with Grub, it was like we run, we're running the ball because we know we have to, and we're just trying to loosen you up a little bit. Because, but yeah. really, what we want to do is chuck and duck, right? Like it was very clear, at least with this last year at you know at UW. They were trying to they were trying to take deep shots. It was everything was like, let's do this so that we can take a deep shot. We're doing this so that we can take take a deep shot. We're throwing this tight end screen because we want to take a deep shot next. Everything was about, you know, passes that were 18 yards and further down the field. And on the side, and, and a lot of them were um on the outside. Part of it could be personnel. They had three probably first or second round wide receivers. Um and a great pass blocking line and a, and a quarterback with a rocket arm. So maybe I'm making too many assumptions based on one year, but I'm telling you, it was, everything was like, it, it was almost like a, uh, like a drug. Like they couldn't stay away from wanting to take those deep shots because it was so fun. Um, but that's who Grubb was last year, honestly. And that's kind of who he was the year before that too. So then I lean, no. <laughs> so then I lean no, I'm not, and that, that's not to say that he's not open to that. But if you go based off of the two candidates that we've heard of right now, and, and while that doesn't mean every any, everything at all, or it, it really could mean nothing, you know, it seems like passing now. Oh yeah, because because well, he's the passing coordinator. I was going to say the Lions. They did have they run the ball run game, but I mean mm-hmm. they're getting the passing game coordinator. So right that again speaks for itself. So yeah, I lean no, even though I think fundamentally they will be intentional about how they pick the linemen mm-hmm. and the skill sets of the linemen. Mm-hmm. I think you might see that philosophy of at least faster and stronger. I don't know about bigger. I don't know if they'll, right. they'll value big or not. Um, sometimes smaller can work to your advantage and, sure. and some of these more modern era, era schemes. That'll be a question but I think that you'll still see them approach the line of scrimmage with the priority. Mm-hmm. It would surprise me. I agree with you. It would surprise me if you didn't see that be a little bit more of a priority. Cause I, I get the sense maybe John kind of wanted to go in that direction too. Right. Emphasizing that a little bit more, but I don't know if you will see that executed heavy run game in scheme. Right. right? Um, I think that, Mike always probably would want to have the option to go to it. Like I said, it's in his blood, right? Every where he's been around, mm-hmm. you need to be able to run the ball. But I'm not sure that wanting to know that you can run the ball is the same as wanting to lean your entire scheme into running. In fact, I would say it's the opposite because he talks about being so versatile. Mm-hmm. I think you see more them wanting to focus on guys who can do both. Mm-hmm. You might guess not wanting to to lean so heavy into one or so heavy into other or into the other, because that kind of seems to be his thing. If there is a, there's an identity I've gleaned from him so far, it's that 
multiplicity is key. Right. And so and counter counterpunch can't just be one way or the other. Mm -hmm. The ability to counterpunch, right? The ability right. to to okay, you're doing this. His his ability to make adjustments has been right. phenomenal, right? That's what everybody talks about. I just pulled up the Ravens offensive line. Um, you know, they were they didn't have they they weren't huge, right? Morgan Moses was six six three thirty, their right tackle, mm -hmm. but you know, he's older. And so he's going to put on that weight, but like Kevin Zeitler is a technician at guard. Um, they drafted their center uh, Linderbaum in the first round out of Iowa, six, two, three Oh five. Right. Yep. I, I think that there's, it's interesting there there. If he brings any of that with him, Michigan's the same way. Michigan's not trying to, they're trying to run you over, but they're trying to run you over with athletic linemen yes. and be able to pull, not necessarily have a bunch of 350 pounds, not Alabama. Right. right? It's not trying to run you over with size. It's being technically sound right. and being able to pull. So I don't know. We're, we're trying. I'm, I'm digging through all kinds of clues. There might not mean anything at all because he didn't make the personnel decisions, certainly on offense in Baltimore. But it's it's just it's so exciting and so interesting to, to try to anticipate. Yeah. You know, this team is going to look nothing like what we've gotten used to. It might be the same names, some of the same names of the stars on the back of their jerseys. But this yeah. team is going to be complete. This identity is going to be completely different. Yeah. It and like you said, Pete Carroll's like the dude who who was the coach when when you took the Seahawks on as yours. Yep. You know? And it's it's just I don't know. I see these pictures of, of McDonald with the Seahawks hat on that people have made. And I'm like that. That's that's, that's just totally different. I don't know. I'm, I'm com spontaneously combusting right now, but I'm just excited. <laughs> I'm excited. Yeah, he really is different. I, and and I'll I'll end it with here. Um, mm -hmm. to to end to the point of multiplicity, I think, and not leaning one way or the other. One, I think it's going to be more mysterious for us. Mm -hmm. But also, I think I lean that that's going to be his direction. And I loved when he said this. Um, he said we want to be a team that's aggressive, but we want to have answers. Mm -hmm. Right. And how many times have we wondered where are the answers? Like, why yeah. can't we seem to respond to any to these punches that we keep getting, no matter what the offensive coordinator is, no matter who they mm -hmm. are, we need to have answers. And, and in order to have answers, you have to be multiple. You have to be able to to go away from something that is a strength and maybe be something that's not as much of a strength for a game or two. Mm -hmm. You have to be able to do the opposite, like lean into your strength. Right. And, and then and have that be your answer. Um so it's exciting, man. I agree with you because because of this philosophy being based in, I'm going to call it the answer. The answer slash adjustments seems to be mm -hmm. that's his big thing. And mm -hmm. you can't you can't swoop me off my feet any more than you can. But <laughs> <laughs> those words right there, man, those, those, those are key. And it's going to make every personnel decision that they make one way or the other um, I think we're going to all try to overanalyze it. <laughs> and I'm not sure that in the end, to be honest, I think we're going to do all this analyzing just for the heck of it. Mm -hmm. And I think that we'll all be wrong about how it looks on the field. You know what I mean? At the end of the day, because yeah, yeah. Uh, I think he's the kind of guy who can have a game plan mm -hmm. that looks one way this game and completely shift it out for another, like for the 49ers, what I understand, they they never actually blitzed that much. They just did simulated pressures. Mm -hmm. But for that 49ers game, they came at it and yep. were completely away from their normal tendencies, 
which is what I think like stunned the 49ers is because mm-hmm. they weren't doing anything tendency wise that maybe they could have prepared for. And boy, do I love a sneak attack. So anyway, mm-hmm. it's gonna be fun to have him. What do they call? I think I've heard them be called the Shanna Handler. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> it's a small sample size, but it really did. <laughs> all those, all those offenses really well, and it'd be fun in a division where you need that mm-hmm. somebody to handle that tree because right. uh, you're getting out of hand. Yep. Um, and it really could truly give the Seahawks an advantage because I've just, while the 49ers have had the best roster, I felt for some time now that the Seahawks should be more competitive in regards to that hierarchy than they are. They should be splitting games. Yep. At least. least. Uh, No way, in my opinion, should they have gotten swept by both teams. Right. (laughs) This year, I think this team's too talented now. Agreed. I agree. It's going to be fun. It is. It is. It's going to be a Seahawks fan. Boy, it is. With the amount of talent on that defense and offense, for that matter, plus mm-hmm. new energy, breath of fresh air, intensity, leadership, scheme, adjust, adjustments. We don't ever say adjustments, right? And we get to say adjustments now. Oh, boy. It's on. It is. It's on, and, and I can't it's be on. more thrilled because, you know, I was gloom and doomed about this offseason. I'm like, it doesn't matter anyway. Mm-hmm. Pete <laughs> <laughs> Nothing matters. <laughs> We're, we're going to end up in the same place next year. Right. Uh, the exact opposite of what I anticipated. So I can't be happier than what I am right now. And I think, I think they are moving in a good direction. You never know how these turn, things turned out, turned mm-hmm. that turn out. We can look back two years and it could all be a disaster, mm-hmm. but I, I still appreciate the process and no matter the outcome, you can still respect the process. And I think um, that's really all we have to go on right now. Yep. Well said. Well said. All right, Tino, tell people where they can find you. Apparently you've been busy with, with baseball and such. So tell people what's going on. Yes. Yeah, so been going off. Um, Mariners cast uh, ethos Mar- at ethos Mariners did two of them on Monday, did one to react to the Dylan Cease rumors. And then that day they traded for Jorge Polanco, who I've been calling for for nine months now. Uh, super exciting. So you find me on the Mariners cast uh, through uh, the ethos network, uh, also doing a lot of fantasy baseball stuff on my own, on my own, um, YouTube channel. Uh, I think you can access it. Just look up Valentino Ganasius. Um, but I'm doing a lot of my positional ranks right now, doing a lot of minor league baseball stuff. Just, I don't know. Sports is sports is my life. I love it. And, uh, tons and tons of baseball on the way. Nice. YouTube Tino. I didn't know that was a thing. All right. Occasion on occasion. All right. That's cool. <laughs> Be sure to follow the show at Ethos Seahawks. We'll have all your updates here as we get things, personnel decisions made, uh, offensive coordinators made. We'll be here to react to it all. And we'll try to do something for you for the draft. I did mention before that we may not be able to do that, but with the help of Tino, I think we might be able to pull something off for you guys as we get closer and closer to the draft date. Um, in the meantime, guys, that's all the time we have for today. That's it. And as always, Go Hawks.